Well, good morning. Open up, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Hope that you guys have had a good week. So excited that you're here with us this morning. We are in part two of our, our, our sermon series called God the King. And this week we are talking about the mercy of the King, the mercy of the King. Uh, one of the things, well, let me give you this because I'm going to forget. I'm going to get on a roll. I'm going to get excited. And I'm going to forget. So here's what we have on tap today. Our theology today is God is a merciful king. God is a merciful king. Our application today is rest in God's tireless mercy. Rest in God's tireless mercy. And our prayer today is God help us to find peace and confidence in your mercy today. Help us to find peace and confidence in your mercy. When we talk about God being a merciful king, uh, it's an idea that's all over the Bible. It, it, it occurs in a lot of different places, and not just the, the word mercy, but the idea of God being merciful. There are plenty of places where God is about to like pour out judgment or pour out wrath, these kinds of things, and then he relents from it, and he decides to show mercy instead. A lot of times it's because of someone like a Moses or a Noah who intercedes for the people and, or a prophet, and, and yet this idea of God being a merciful God, uh, as much as it's in the Bible, I think that it probably gets downplayed a lot. I was growing up, when I was growing up in church and I heard people talk about God, one of the things that people would say is that a lot of people view God as like a father or a dad, and if you had a good dad, you view God as a good guy, and if you had a bad dad, you view God as a bad dad. Uh, and then another thing that I heard people say is a lot of people view God as like this kind of like cosmic policeman, you know, like ready to, you know, slap the handcuffs on or get you in trouble if you've done something wrong. And, and I think that what we've done too often, in fact, I'm just going to be a little more confident than that and say what I know we've done too often is we've taken our personal experiences and our personal knowledge and we have folded that back on God instead of letting God be the standard by which we view the world, we kind of view God through the standard of uh, our experience. And so... Oftentimes, if you did have a, a bad father and you read a text that talks about God being father, your first instinct is to go, oh, well, I know what fathers are like. And, and that is just the backwards way of thinking. But let me just say to you really quickly, if you're in here today and you're a father, uh, think about it like this. God, who is a good father, is the model by which we should father, by the, which we should be parents, okay? And so it, it's not we look at our shortcomings or our parents' shortcomings and say that must be what God is like. What we ought to do is say here's what God is like, and therefore we should follow that example. And so when we think about God being merciful, what most people think about in fact, is God's judgment. And that's how people, I think, primarily think of God. Uh, they don't think of him as merciful. They don't think of him as patient. And yet the Bible talks a lot about his long-suffering, about his patience. The Bible uh, talks about in Peter, in the book of Peter, it says that the reason that Christ hasn't come back yet is because God is being patient towards mankind, wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so God is being patient and he's being kind and he's waiting for people to come to salvation in him. In Exodus 34, I know you're in Ephesians, you're going to be upset with me, but that's the very last text we're going to. Uh, so 
in, in Exodus 34, there's this guy named Moses, and Moses is a pretty central figure in the Bible, very important guy in the Old Testament. And Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've been in slavery. The, the Israelites have been in slavery for 430 years. And Moses is leading the people through the wilderness. And in Exodus 34, this is at a point when they've been out of slavery for about five months, five or six months. And, and what has happened is that Moses has gone up on the mountain and he is talking to God, and he's getting the Ten Commandments. Uh, the only movie we were like we were allowed to watch one hour of television a week growing up. I picked MacGyver. I think I've shared that with you before. That was the correct choice. Uh, and and uh, and so my sister would watch The Cosby Show and A Different World. Uh, that was her show. Mine was mine was definitely MacGyver. And I, I a year ago I think I was sick with the flu and. Uh, and I watched MacGyver, and it doesn't hold up very well, but it's still really good. And, uh, and anyway, uh, it doesn't, it's still MacGyver, you know? And I don't know how you feel. I'm just gotta, I gotta say this. They've rebooted MacGyver a couple of years ago, and if you're watching that, then you're wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was just a poor choice on your part, and I just want you to know that. So we got to watch one hour of television a year, or a week, <laughs> a year. <laughs> My parents weren't quite that strict. One hour of television a week, uh, except for every year when the Ten Commandments would come on. It was a two-night special, Charlton Heston, and we would get to stay up late to watch the Ten Commandments. My parents' view on that, I suppose, was this is about Jesus. You know, this is about God, so it's okay if you stay up late. So every year growing up, uh, we would watch the Ten Commandments. And I think for me, it was more about being able to stay up and watch TV than it was about the Ten Commandments. But you remember this moment uh, where Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments from God. And when he comes back down from the mountain, the people of God, I, I, I just, it, it boggles my brain that the people of God, this is, a, the, by the way, three months in, three months into them coming out of Egypt, three months of them walking with God, three months of them seeing a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of, uh, of cloud, by, sorry, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And they've seen God destroy the Egyptians. They've seen God do all these powerful things. And, and Moses goes up on the mountain and he's up on the mountain for 40 days. And the people down in the camp go, where's Moses? We don't know what happened to him. Uh, you know, like, What's become of them? Let's, let's make an idol. Let's make a golden cow, and we'll worship that instead. So this is their decision. Three months into following God, they say, you know what? We don't know what happened to Moses. We don't know what happened to, you know, he went to meet with God. By the way, they're next to a mountain. The Israelites are next to a mountain that is covered in smoke and fire and is trembling and shaking, and the sound of trumpets and an earthquake are coming from it, and they're like, I don't know. Anybody know where God is? Like, right there, Right? And they're like, let's make a golden cow instead. And when Moses is coming back down from the mountain, he meets his, uh, he meets his assistant. And, and he says to Joshua, or Joshua says to Moses, he goes, there's the sound of war in the camp. Because they hear all the people like making a lot of noise down in the camp. Moses goes, that's not the sound of war. It's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. And they get down to the bottom. And all the people of God, like one and a half million people, have decided to start bowing down to this golden cow. And Moses is just livid right? And he throws down the Ten Commandments and he breaks them. And he says, okay, who's still serving God? If you're still serving God, come to me. And the Levites, one of the tribes, come to Moses and he says, all right, everybody put your sword on your hip, go through the camp and kill your brothers. And they go through the camp and they kill 3,000 people that day, which out of a million and a half, it's not so bad. 
right? Only 3,000 died. And then Moses is like, what do I do? And God goes, come back up on the mountain. Meet with me again. And God has told Moses, he said, look, I'm going to kill all the people. I'm just going to kill them all. I'll make you into a great nation. We'll start all over. Moses goes, no, 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 don't do that. He goes, you've already shown that you're God. You've already shown that you're God by bringing the people out of slavery, by bringing the people out of Egypt. Show them mercy. And God goes, okay, I'll show them mercy. And then Moses goes, but God, can I, can I see your face? And God goes, no, you can't see my face. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week. Uh, he goes, you can see my hind parts. You can see my backside, right? And so Moses goes up. And when God shows up in Exodus 34, when God shows up to meet with Moses, God introduces himself. And here's what he calls himself. God introduces himself again to Moses. It's not like Moses hadn't met God before. There have been a couple of times where God has reintroduced himself to Moses with a new name and a new character trait or something to kind of round it out. And this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And God says to Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Listen to it again. I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is super encouraging. It's super positive. Full disclosure here, because I, I hope that you would continue to read if you took a note or whatever, and you're going to come and ask me about it on Wednesday. The next part says, and not forgetting the iniquity of the fathers, but pouring out, out onto the generations of their kids and so on and so forth. So there's, the end of it is judgment, okay? But he says, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. In fact, this almost word for word will be used about half a dozen times in the Old Testament, which might not sound like a whole lot to you, but for it to be used word for word, that's a lot. It's a lot of different places that it's occurring. There are a lot of different people who recognize that God is the Lord God, slow to anger and abounding in love, steadfast and merciful. And, and so this is, how, this is how the people were to know who God was. He is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is how we should teach people who God is. I got to tell you, growing up, growing up, what was really popular, I don't know if they still do them, but growing up, they used to do like Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames kind of like productions. If you've never heard of those, it was the idea that we want to scare the crud out of you so you'll get saved. We want you to be so scared of hell and so scared of demons flaying off your flesh and stuff that you'll go, man, okay, sign me up for heaven. Like if those are your choices, right? Like, hey, here's your choice, mercy and love or being flayed by demons. Uh, first of all, one of my problems with that is that the Heaven's Gate Hell's Flame model has people being tormented by demons, and the Bible's really clear in Matthew that hell is also for the demons. So hell is hell for the demons as well. That's a nice little rhyme. You can remember it. Tattoo it on your body somewhere. Don't really do that. That'd be a really weird one. But like, hell is hell for the demons as well. See, see how that works, right? People think, oh yeah, if you're in hell, man, the demons. Are... No, they're they're suffering too. Like the guys in hell, I don't know what it's like. The guys in hell are next to the demons in hell. They're both suffering. They're like, man, <laughs> we screwed up, right? Like it's, it's done. It's bad. And so what people tried to do all growing up, I, I mean, I went to a church, uh, gosh, when I was like late teens, early 20s, and we put on a hell house every year instead of a haunted house. Every, every October, we'd put on a hell house at our church to try to scare people into heaven. And I just want you to know that is not the model of the scripture, and we were wrong to do that. 
The model of the scripture is, hey, there is the God in heaven who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it is God's kindness, it is God's mercy that brings us to repentance. Not fear of him, the mercy that he has. And that is how the Bible would have you know God, that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. That, that, that should give us confidence when we come to God. That should give us joy when we come to God because we come underneath his mercy. And that is how God introduced himself to Moses for like the third time. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about the mercy of God is from Lamentations chapter 3. It says this. This is Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love it. It's a great text. And what most people hinge or hang themselves upon kind of is that his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning. Let me put it into context for you a little bit. It is believed probably that uh, the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is this old prophet at this point who is, has watched the destruction of Jerusalem, the city of God. He's watched the destruction. He's watched the city fall. And the city has become like just desolate. And the people are dying. And, and if you read, I mean, Lamentations, if you ever just, if you ever feel too happy and and you need to feel a little bit sad for whatever reason. Read Lamentations. Like it is a, a, a lament, a sorrow, a song, a sadness. Like if you ever just feel like, man, I just, am, I just am too bubbly today. Like I just, I don't know, like life, rainbows, sunshine, daisies, like everything is just really great. And you just can't stand it anymore. Read Lamentations. It will like knock you right down. Because the book of Lamentations is talking about how uh, the children are crying in the streets and how they're saying, we have no bread, we have no food, and their tongues are sticking to the roof of their mouths because they don't even have water to drink, and how the whole city lies in desolation, and the whole city is ruined, and everything's been destroyed, and God is far away, and that Nebuchadnezzar has come, and he's wrecked everything, and everything is as bad as it can possibly be. That's what Lamentations is about. And then Jeremiah says this, and he goes, so in the midst of all of that context, wow, this is the worst situation we've ever been in. Jeremiah goes, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Here's what he says. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's, that's what he brings to mind. That's what Jeremiah calls to mind so that he can endure this really tragic time. Now, it's a great verse, but it, I think it's been misused. And here's kind of the way that I've taught it in the past, and here's kind of the way that I've heard other people teach it in the past. Part of the way that it gets used is God's mercies are new every morning. It's what it said, right? His mercies are new every morning. And so what people kind of do is they get to the end of their day, and, and they've sinned or they feel like they've fallen short of God's glory or his purpose, and they're like, oh, man, I've really blown it today. I'm really grateful that I can start fresh tomorrow. 
So the way people think about it, and, and initially that sounds okay, but here's the problem with it. If you're kind of going through the day and you're like, man, I didn't read my Bible today and I didn't share Christ with that person and I'm not honoring the Lord in my relationship and I didn't choose the right thing here, and you're like, oh, I've stacked up all this crud, all these debts, all this sin, and then we start thinking, oh, man, I... I I need, a, I need a new day. I'm just like, I have literally heard people say, and I've probably said it at some point, just go to bed. Just go to bed. Because the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Just go to bed so you can be to, tomorrow and start fresh. Like, you know? But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that it makes it sound like we're, we're, we're kind of building up a ledger and that what God is doing is wiping our sins clean every day. Like every morning, he's given us a, a, a fresh kind of ledger. It, it, I don't know. Do you remember, like, do, most of us in here probably remember chalkboards, not like dry erase boards. Dry erase boards way better. But remember chalkboards and, like, just, like, like you could still sometimes see the notes on the chalkboard from the day before even though they'd been erased. You know what I mean? And, and I think that some of us kind of view our sin like that. Like, here's this big cosmic chalkboard, and here's where I screwed up today, and here's another way that I screwed up today, and here's another way that I screwed up today. And then, like, as an elementary kid, you'd come into the school, and, the, and like, every now and then it'd be, like, brand new. It'd, like, be really clean. And I think we kind of think that way about our sin. And, like, God, just, just give me a clean slate. Give me a clean chalkboard. Give me a clean ledger tomorrow. And I think we feel that way sometimes. And, and if that's our understanding, then we've misunderstood who God is and we've misunderstood who Christ is. You're not dirtying the ledger today. You're not, you're not going into debt with God today. You are not on his bad side today. He's not sitting there in, hand, in heaven wringing his hands going, if only they would go to sleep so I could give them fresh mercy tomorrow. That's not how it works. And so I think that what we've done is we've taken this text completely one out of context. We're ripping it out of the space that Jeremiah intended it for. Jeremiah knows because Jeremiah has already prophesied that the nation of, of uh, Judah will be restored. And I think what we miss in this is that, yes, it, what Jeremiah was trying to explain to people, what Jeremiah was trying to have people call to mind is that God is merciful. The same thing that God introduced himself to Moses. And what, what I want you to call to mind is God is merciful. What I, what I want you to do is that in the moment that you recognize, man, I blew it today. In that moment that you realize, man, I screwed up today. Or I didn't do the thing I should have done. Or I did exactly the thing I shouldn't have done. I want your first thought in that moment is to be, God, thank you for your mercy. I don't want you to feel like I got to wait till tomorrow. For the slate to be wiped clean. Let me give you a couple of stories. And you can just listen. One's from 2 Samuel 9. In 2 Samuel 9, David is king. We, we talked a little bit about David last week. 2 Samuel 9, David is king. Uh, he's been a king for quite a while at this point. We can talk about how we arrive at that later on Wednesday if you want. But um, he's been a king for quite a while at this point. And his predecessor as king was this guy named Saul. Saul tried to kill David. Saul tried to have David killed, and Saul had a son named Jonathan, and David and Jonathan were best friends. Now, the Philistines come, and they kill Saul, they kill Jonathan, they kill almost all of Saul's descendants, and David becomes king instead. Okay, everybody good? Now, David, after being king for a while, he asked this question. This is 2 Samuel 9. He asked this question, is there anybody left of Saul's household that I can show kindness to? Is there anybody left of Saul's household that I can show kindness to? Remember, Saul had tried to kill David. Anybody left? And somebody goes, well, th there's this guy named Mephibosheth. 
And Mephibosheth was, was a baby, was an infant, when Saul, his grandfather, and Jonathan, his father, were killed in battle. Mephibosheth was an infant. And now he's an adult man. And they go, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. He's crippled in his feet. Uh, what had happened is when he was an infant and the city was being attacked by the Philistines, the maid carrying Mephibosheth was running and tripped. And the accident that happened resulted in Mephibosheth's feet being crippled from that point forward, paralyzed or whatever. And, and so Mephibosheth lives in this city. Um, and I believe Mephibosheth lives in the city Lodabar, which is nothing, means nothing. Okay. So Mephibosheth lives in a city that means nothing, literally what it means. Uh, I used to, when I would teach children's camp, I had this the ugliest hand puppet uh, that I would use at children's camp every now and then, and I called him Lodabar. He was just ugly. His, he deserved the name. Uh, but, but Mephibosheth, this crippled grandson of a disgraced king, lives in nothing and David goes, is there anybody left I can show kindness to? And somebody goes, yeah, Mephibosheth. And so he goes and he has Mephibosheth brought in front of his presence. And, and Mephibosheth is like, why am I here? And David goes, from this point forward, you sit at my table. From this point forward, you live in my house. From this point forward, you eat my food. Why? What had Mephibosheth done to merit any of that? Goose egg, nothing. But the king was merciful. The king was showing mercy. Something similar has happened with you and I. There is a God in heaven who sits on his throne who goes, who is it? Who can I show mercy to? Who can I show kindness to? And it doesn't matter that we're crippled, if you will. It doesn't matter that we're sinners. It doesn't matter that we live in nothing, have come from nothing. What matters isn't who we are, but that the king wants to show us mercy. God wants to show you mercy. He wants to show you his grace. He wants to show you his kindness. I told you last week that the book of Ezekiel almost didn't make it into the Christian Bible because chapter 1 was just so wacky, right? This week, the book of Esther, also an Old Testament book, almost didn't make it into our Christian Bible. Almost didn't because there's no direct mention of God. Interesting story, though. In the book of Esther, long story short, Esther, the queen, is going to ask the king for a favor, okay? But the law was that you don't get to go in front of the king unless he asks for you to come in front of him. Because if you go in front of the king without him asking you to, he can kill you. He can just kill you just for coming into his presence when he didn't ask you to. With one exception, if when he sees you walk into his presence, he holds up his golden staff, that's him saying, look, mercy, come on in. Come before me. And so Esther goes in before the king and he raises his golden staff. And, and people might say, well, there's no direct mention of God. But I got to tell you, I think that that's a really beautiful picture of the gospel. Like, here we are, we're coming in before King God, right? We're coming in before the king of all kings, the king of everything. And the Bible talks about how no one can come into the presence of God and live. And we come before God and he goes, hey, Jesus, Here's what enables you to come into my presence. You and I, you and I are not far from God. Why? Not because of who we are, but because of who he is as merciful. 
God has brought us near to him, not because we warranted it, not because we deserved it. God has brought us near to him because he is gracious and kind. Man, he's a good king. Whenever somebody stops you and asks you, well, don't you think that God's just kind of this big, scary guy? Or don't you just think that God is kind of mean that he would do this, that, and the other? Or don't you think that, and they say anything other than merciful, then you have the beautiful blessing of being able to say, no, 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 he is merciful. He has made a way for you to come near him. In 2 Samuel 14, 14, the Bible says that man's life is like water poured up on the ground that cannot be gathered back up again. But God does not seek a way to banish man, but seeks a way to bring mankind near to him. God is merciful. He has brought us near to him. He has shown us his grace. He has shown us his kindness. He has lavished upon us his love. That is who we serve. I grew up as a guilty Christian, feeling guilty all the time. Anybody else? Like you, just, like you just felt guilty, and you didn't even need a reason. I didn't party. I wasn't sleeping with my girlfriend. I didn't do drugs. I made straight A's. I did whatever my parents told me, and I felt guilty every single day. Maybe I hadn't read my Bible enough. Maybe I didn't memorize enough scripture. I mean, my goodness, Micah makes fun of me for these kinds of things, which... It's probably good, I guess, that he does that now. I don't know. Uh, he's making me tougher. But, uh, but from the time I was like 15 to the time I was like 18, I got up every morning and put on, like put on the armor of God from Ephesians 6, man. Like I was putting on my sandals and I was tying that strap because, because somebody at some camp told me that that's what you do. And I just thought, man, I'm going to do it. And any day that I didn't do it and like... I didn't get my parking spot at school. I was like, it's because I didn't put on the armor of God. You know, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we have a lot of people who think that way about God. And what we need to think about God is this. What's our theology today? Our theology today is this. God is a merciful king. That's what we need to think about God. Hear me say this. When people come to you and go, isn't God angry? Doesn't he pour out his wrath? Doesn't he pour out his judgment? Short answers are yes, he pours out his wrath. The short answer is yes, he pours out his judgment. On whom? Anyone who was so arrogant to not meet him in his mercy. Hey, here's mercy. I'll tell you, uh, um, several months ago, I don't even remember when it was, Robert, I remember when it was. Several months ago, my family and I went for a walk. And we were walking down to the low water crossing down here. It's about a mile and a quarter from our house. We were walking down there, and there were these huge Thunderheads building. And it was like such a cool day. And then all of a sudden, the wind changed as it does in West Texas. Like, and it just started whipping 20 miles an hour the other way. And those Thunderheads turned like black really fast. And we're a mile and a half or a mile and a quarter from home. And so I was like, come on, we got to go. And so we start like going. And I text Robert. I'm like, what you doing? He goes, nothing, just hanging out of the house. I was like, hey, so I think we're going to get caught in the rain. Can you come pick us up? And I'm texting this to him. And later he was like, just call me, dude. Like, just call me. You know, but I'm all trying to be polite. Hey, <laughs> how's it going? Everything okay, right? So I'm texting Robert. And, and he goes, man, I'm on my way. And so we're running. And all of a sudden, and then just the rain comes. It just came. And there was hell and rain. And we were like, 
Oh, so we go up next to this fence and we get under like a mesquite tree and I'm waiting and here comes the white truck, Robert's white truck. And the truck pulls past us and stops and we run out and I jump in the car. I'm like, hey, thanks so much, man. Not Robert. <laughs> the guy goes, did you guys get stuck out here? I was like, yeah. He goes, y'all live down by the church, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm in the back seat, like looking to see who it is. He goes, cool, man. Well, let me take you guys home. I'm like, thanks. See, mercy, <laughs> right? Just mercy. See, <laughs> like, here's what I want you to know. There is this merciful God who says, come on. There's room for you. There is room for you under my mercy. Everybody goes, isn't God, like, isn't he going to wipe out all his enemies? Isn't he going to pour out his wrath? Yes, he will. But that is not the point of the story. The point of the story is, look how big my mercy is. Come in, there's room for you. And every person who believes themselves so high and so powerful, who has so much pride in their heart that says, I'm good, that person who does not come under the mercy of God does receive the judgment of God. But that's not the sermon. There's room in the mercy of God for you. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, it is not too late. And it doesn't matter. You don't need to sit there and think about all the things you've done wrong and all the stuff you've stacked up and all the skeletons in your closet because the mercy of God won't wait until tomorrow to wipe them out. That's a misunderstanding of Limitations 3. The mercy of God right now welcomes you into his presence. Right now says, sit at my table you're part of my family now. Right now says, here's Jesus. And because of Jesus, you get to dwell with me. God is a merciful king. Quit carrying your shame. Quit carrying your guilt. Listen, if you're in here and you're a believer today and you're carrying guilt and shame, by the way, don't feel guilty and shameful that you're carrying guilt and shame. It defeats the whole purpose. But if you're carrying guilt and shame, Come into the mercy of God. Remember that we serve a merciful king. What's our application today? Here it is. Listen, rest, rest in God's tireless mercy. Rest in God's tireless mercy. Listen to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, and the, mind, the body and the mind, and were by nature. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen to that. We were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature uh, inhabitants of Lodabar, if you will, nothing, cripples. Uh, but God, so how does it end with us? By nature, children of wrath, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were guilty, even when we were his enemies, even when we were by nature objects of wrath, even when we were those things made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he would show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Listen, 
We all were guilty of sin. We all were guilty of, our, uh, of trespasses. We all were by nature objects of wrath. And what you notice in the text isn't that something changed in us. But God, but God, rich in his mercy with the great love with which he loved you, brought you to him in Jesus Christ. God is merciful. Man, he adores you. I promise you he does. I, I promise you all the things that you've gotten wrong, all the things that you're carrying weight over, all the things you've screwed up, all the hearts you've broken, all the burnt bridges you've burned, all the people you've crossed, all the things that you have piled up that you can't shake free from, I promise you, God, rich in love with his great mercy, has, as the Bible says in Psalm maybe 86, he has taken your sin and he's cast it into the depths of the sea. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. Rest in that. Rest in that. Let, let that be the thing that you lean into. When you don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, when you don't know how good it's going to be or how bad it's going to be, and you feel overwhelmed and you feel discouraged and you feel heavy, remember this. Remember, what's our application today? Rest in God's tireless mercy. When you're beating yourself up for not being the best husband or father, when you feel overwhelmed because you don't feel like you've been the mother or the wife that you are supposed to be, or you don't feel like you've been the Christian or you treated somebody in a manner less than Jesus, and you go, man, I really blew it. I really screwed up my testimony. I really screwed up this, that, or the other. In that moment, go, God, I'm resting still under the umbrella of your grace. You don't have to be polite about it. You don't have to text them and say, hey, are you busy? <laughs> You're just like, man, I'm caught in the storm. Grace. <laughs> I need grace. And God's tireless mercy, his tireless grace is always, always. It's not even, it's not even like it's available. It's not even like it's a, a thing that we have to go and draw from. It just is. God is just merciful. You don't have to say a certain kind of prayer. You don't have to look a certain kind of way. You don't have to do a certain kind of thing to receive it. He's invited you to it. He's welcomed you into it. There's room for you in the grace of Christ, in the grace of God. Here's our prayer today. God, help us to find peace and confidence in your mercy today. Why peace and confidence? Some of us are so guilt-stricken. Some of us are so guilt-stricken that we can't seem to shake it. Man, I just want peace. I just want to know that, God, in you I have mercy. Some of us just need to find our peace in God's mercy today. And some of us go, I get that I'm forgiven, but I'm, I'm like Mephibosheth, broken feet sitting at the table of the king. I don't belong here. For some of us, being in the mercy of God is just about finding our confidence of who we are in Christ. You are loved. You are adored. You are treasured by the living God of the universe. Take a moment, if you would, and let's just spend some time in prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, right where you are, you're welcome to pray with your family or your friends or pray on your own. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Remember, I can't make you believe this. I can't write this on your heart for you. This is up to you. This is your part. This is your responsibility. It's, it's in your lap now. But would you just take a moment this morning, would you just pray this first? 
God, help me to remember that you are a merciful king. Take a moment right where you are just to pray that. God, help me to remember that you are a merciful king. As you're continuing in prayer, would you ask that God would help you to find peace and confidence? Peace that comes from the shame and the guilt being melted away and confidence that stands in the strength of who we are in Christ. Pray that. God, help me to find peace and confidence in your mercy. Finally, this, as we continue in an attitude of prayer, one of my biggest fears is that we get done with church, we walk out the door and we forget this. Man, I want you to remember this. Would you just ask that God would help you to remember that he is merciful? Not just in this moment, but for this week and this month and this year. That Would you just ask, God, help me. Help me to remember that you are merciful in this moment, in this day, but for the days to come that God would write this on your heart, that it would be a truth that you couldn't shake. God, help us to remember that you are merciful. Take a moment just to pray that.